Wow. Awesome, awesome job, choir. I come to tell you. It says, I come to tell you. That's what we want to talk about this morning, telling the story. There's an old story that we're supposed to be telling if you want to be turning in your Bibles to the book of Psalms, chapter 78. Psalms, chapter 78, has emerged. Our middle school makes their way. If you got somebody with you in middle school, welcome to go with these guys. They'll take good care of them. They're just going down to the rocks. They're middle school. Time for a middle school church, and they'll be right back. Psalms, chapter 78. You know, I read a... um. I read an article, I don't think I've mentioned it in here, I mentioned it at a staff meeting and talked about it a little bit, but I don't remember talking about it in here. I read an article that, that talked about <laughs> church, it, it talked about how in today's church there's not very many men in church anymore, and how the congregations are majority women, and how many women have had to step up and become spiritual leaders of the home, and they've stepped up and be, they're the ones that are getting the kids ready and bringing them to church. And it just talked about how women are, are playing such a, a vital role in, in today's church. And it said this. It said one of the reasons why, basically the, the title was something to the effect of something like church is for women. Now, I want you to understand it wasn't a negative article. It, it was trying to give some ideas on ways to reach men, which is a desperate need in today's world. But what it talked about was the things that the church stands for actually pleads more to the feminine side of things. The nurture and the caring of people leans more towards women, taking care of the sick, trying to, trying to reach out to somebody that, that is hurting and be, be a, a help. Those things tend to reach a little more to the more feminine side. And so it talked about women are better at those things. And I'll be honest with you, there's probably some truth in that. Um, especially if you're from the generation I'm in. I'm sorry, we're the world's worst. It, we grew up with three words. Suck it up. If it ain't bleeding, don't worry about it. If it is electrical tape will work, wrap it up and move on. So, so men were not very good at pleading to the more loving and nurturing side of things. But can, can I just back up on that man's story and say that does not change the facts. It does not change the fact that no matter how natural it may or may not come to men, God put men spiritual leaders of the home. God said it's up to you men to tell the story. It's up to the men to train up the children. It's up to the men to have your family in church. It's up to the men to set a godly example, a godly direction for your home. I want to read a passage here this, mo this morning, Psalms chapter 78. Psalm chapter 78, if you'll Look, we'll begin reading in verse number 3. It says, which we have heard and known. Why did we know it and how did we hear it? Our fathers have told us. We'll not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come. So if we don't tell the generation to come, then who's going to tell them? showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength 
and his wonderful works that he hath done. Fathers, if you don't tell your children about all of the hell on earth that God has brought you through, all of the financial devastation that God has delivered you from, all the sickness and disease that God has healed you above, if you don't tell your children, how will they know how awesome your God is? If you don't tell them all the storms that he's walked you through, all the fires that he held your hand and brought you out as the fourth man in the fire, if you don't tell your children how awesome God is, how are they going to know? What it says of his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done, has God done anything wonderful in here for anybody? For he established a testimony in Jacob, appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God. Why are they going to set their hope in God if they've not seen the example set before them? Set the example that our children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. I want to look this morning, just for a few minutes, at what kind of man. God, thank you so much for being so incredibly good. Thank you for being so patient, so loving, so kind, so long-suffering, God. Thank you for loving us in spite of us, God. Thank you for loving us, Lord, through our faults and our failures and our trials. That While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, but it didn't stop then, God. You love us even today as we continue to falter, continue to fail. Thank you for your goodness, God. Thank you for your mercy. Lord, I thank you for your presence in this place, God. Thank you for the blood that washed away all of our sins. There is nothing else, God. It's nothing but the blood of Jesus. We thank you for it this morning. Thank you for your sweet Holy Spirit, God. I pray you continue to move in this place. I pray you'd move through the airways that you may bless somebody out on a live stream, God. I pray that you'd move in here, Father, most of all. I pray that your perfect will be accomplished and that you alone be pleased. We love you, God. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, guys. You can be seated. Proverbs chapter 22 tells us in in verse number 6 that we are to train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he's old, he'll not depart from it. It doesn't guarantee your child's salvation. But what it does guarantee is that he won't ever forget what you teach him. You can't guarantee that someone will choose to receive Christ, but if you teach them the love of God, you teach them the mercy of God, you teach them the goodness of God, you teach them the strength of God, you teach them about God, they will never forget what they learned. In the letter to the church at Ephesus, the Apostle Paul said in chapter 6 and verse number 4, Ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So I want to start out this morning by saying thank you to the men that are here. Thank you to, to the men that are that have your families. You're on vacation. You went to see Dad wherever you are. You're on live stream. But you took time for you and your family to, to tune in. I want to say thank you to the dads that are doing your best to lead your family in a godly direction in a very ungodly world. Amen. Thank you to the dads that are doing your best to follow this book, 
to train up a child in the nurture and, and admonition of the Lord. Thank you for dads that are investing T-I-M-E in your children. Listen, all that time you're spending at work and all that time you're making money and you think you're buying them stuff, they ain't going to remember none of it. That stuff's going to rot. That stuff's going to fall apart. That stuff's going to become invaluable. But the time you spend with your children will never fail. It will never fade. It will change their life from this day forward. They will never forget the time that dad spent with them. Thank you for dads that are investing time in your children. Thank you for dads that are investing time in reading the Word of God, spending time praying fervently for your family, asking God to help you to be a better man, asking God to lead you so that you might lead your home. Unfortunately, in America today, because of the condition of most men, that thank you is going out to a very small percentage of the men in this country. Amen? Across America and worldwide, dads are dropping the ball. That, that is why America is in the shape that she's in. God put men to be the spiritual leader of the home. He formed Eve from the rib. She is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, that she might be called woman. God was making a help meet. A woman is the completer of the man. Man, you already know because your wife told you this morning you got up. Without her, you're nothing. And she can tell you that because it's scriptural. She is the completer. We all need our wives. Amen. I wouldn't even know what to put on if I didn't have one. She wouldn't even let me wear a tie Wednesday night. I picked out my clothes. Where are my tie? She's just too hot. It'll make me hot looking at you. I'm like, all right then. So, so the message is to say thank you for, for the men who are doing the best you can to lead your family in a Christ-like way. It is, my, it is my prayer that each of us will find something, that each of us will see something. God will give us a nugget that, that will help us do the best we can in trying to live a life that is pleasing to God. But I also pray that this message will find its way into the hands of some who may not be following God, who may not be walking that walk and living that life, that, that God may give them some help to make some changes in their life, to make some changes in their home and in their surroundings. Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses is writing the commandments. He's writing the statutes that God gave him. If you've ever been here for a baby dedication, you know that I read this. If you've been here for many, you know that I read it every time. I do a baby dedication. I read this scripture at every one of them because if we're going to dedicate our children back to God and say, God, I'm giving my children back to you, it must come with a personal dedication. I'm going to dedicate them back to you and I'm going to dedicate myself to you, God, that you might help me to be the kind of parent I need to be, that you might use me. Well, this is what he says, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. Many of you probably learned it by heart as many times as we read it. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God, all thy heart. All thy soul, with all thy might. These words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Diligently. That is a steady application. That's not a hit or miss. That's not here a little, there a little. It is to be consistent without intermission. Diligently is a steady application to teach them, and, and here, here it is, not just by words, but by living it in front of them every day 
diligently, not just on Sunday, but thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand. They shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. Those are the commandments that God gave Moses so that no one would forget all that God had done for them. But he goes on. In verse number, number 12, because everything's good. You know, we, we got all the stuff. Everything's going good. Everybody's fine. Everybody's comfortable. Everybody's happy. Bills is paid and everything's smooth because everything is going good. Beware, in verse number 12, lest thou forget the Lord. Now, Moses is writing to the children of Israel there, and he talks about the bondage of Egypt. Can I tell you that every word in this blessed, precious book is inspired by the Holy Spirit of God? That men moved, men spake as they were moved upon by the Holy Spirit. And Moses may have thought he was writing to the children of Israel, and indeed he was. But the Holy Spirit was writing to all men that would follow. And the Holy Spirit wrote this letter to you and I. He goes on in verse number 13. He says, Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him and shalt swear by his name. Ye shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people which are round about you. That is a huge, 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 huge failure in the United States of America. An idol is anything you put before God. An idol is anything that you desire more than God. You say, I, I don't have any trinkets. I don't have any golden casts. I don't have any wooden Buddha dolls sitting there. You may not, but you've got football on a big screen, and you'll forget church to watch a ball game. you got baseball going on. we got softball. The women just finished their World Series. you got soccer. you got NASCAR going on, those that become idols in men's lives. Hunting, fishing, golf. You're like, oh man, you're killing me. No, I'm not killing you. I'm just telling you God has to be first. And we are selling things out. The golf course will be full on Sunday for men that claim to be Christians. Then where is your example? Where is your testimony? Where is your life? Well, it's the rut. I need to be in a deer stand on Sunday. No, you don't. You need to be in the house of God, worshiping God with your family, teaching your children that God comes first no matter what. Idolatry has become huge in the United States of America because we put everything else first. There's nothing stronger than the almighty dollar. Oh, we'll work on Sunday. Well, I understand we're not in the Old Testament. I understand it's not the seventh-day Sabbath. We don't worship on Saturday because that was fulfilled. We worship on the first day of the week, the day that the Holy Spirit came. After the seven weeks of seven on the 50th day, the Holy Spirit fell in the church was anointed. The first day of church was the first day of the week. Jesus Christ rose on the first day of the week. I understand we're not bound by the seventh-day Sabbath and all that was there then. But we are bound, if we love God, to worship God. If we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength more than anything else, we will serve God more than anything else, including the almighty dollar. I promise you, promise you, promise you, you'll make more in six days than you can ever make in seven. You can work yourself slapped to death trying to work on Sunday because i got to make ends meet. 
and all you're doing is burning at both ends. And you'll not only lose in that, but you'll lose your children in the process because you did not set a godly example. He goes on, verse number 15. For the Lord thy God is a jealous God among you. Lest the anger of the Lord thy God be kindled against thee. How many of you want God mad at you? He says, get things wrong. And let me get God mad at you. Kindled against thee and destroy thee from off the face of the earth. You shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted in Massa. You shall diligently keep the commandments of, your, of the Lord your God and his testimonies, his statutes, which he hath commanded thee. And thou shalt do that which is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest go in and possess the good land which the Lord sware unto thy fathers. In America, we have possessed the land. We have exactly what the, the children of Israel got when they went in. We have wells that we didn't dig, and we get fresh water out of them every day. We got fruit trees that we didn't plant, and we eat fruit from them every day. God has delivered the land to us. We have all of the things that the world has to offer. We're one of the most worldly successful countries to have ever existed on the planet for as long as the world has, has been here. But in the process of all of it, we have done exactly what the Scriptures told us not to do, and that is we have forgotten God. We've forgotten why we have what we have, who it is that gave it to us, who it is that sustains it, and who it is that can take it. I read a quote this week. It said, author unknown, but this is what it said. What you teach your children, you also teach their children. If you do a good job of teaching your children, they'll teach your children the same. Joe Arthur has preached a message twice in this church that I know of over the past 28, 9 years. Um, he, he talked about a generation who knew not Joseph. Probably most of you, if you've been to the revivals, you've heard Dr. Joe Arthur preach here. You've probably heard it. But he used the passage in Exodus chapter 1 and verse 6 where Joseph died and all his brethren and all that generation. And the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied and waxed exceeding mighty. And the land was filled with them. But in verse number 8 it says that there rose up a new king over Egypt which knew not Joseph. Acts chapter 7, we've been studying Acts for a while on Wednesday nights. In chapter 7, Stephen is being questioned by Saul of Tarsus and the Sanhedrin council. They've come together and Stephen is, is telling the story. He's telling about how Joseph became the, most, the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. How his brothers sold him into slavery and how they meant it for bad but God meant it for good. And how God raised him up into the second most powerful man, only second to Pharaoh. And, and how everybody knew Joseph. But then he says in verse number 18 of Acts chapter 7, till another king arose which knew not Joseph. Dr. Joe Arthur preaches that message. This is what he talks about. There was a day when everybody knew Joseph. Everybody in the land would have known because Joseph was the man who had control of all the grain and put out all the food and everybody knew Joseph. But as time went on and the story wasn't told, there came a generation in which some people knew Joseph. But then he says, time went on until you got to a generation which knew not Joseph. The reason they did not know Joseph is because they stopped telling the story 
of Joseph. They stopped telling what great things God had done. Had the children of God continued to tell the story of the goodness of God, had the children of God continued to tell the story about the greatness of God, the awesomeness of God, the might of God, then there would have never come a day that they forgot Joseph. Our forefathers in this country knew Jesus Christ. They put their life on the line for Jesus Christ. They put their family and their fortune on the line for the gospel of this book. If you don't know how much our forefathers put their trust and their faith in the living God of this book, then you know nothing about this country. You were probably raised up in a more modern-day school. You're probably younger than us because they don't bother to tell you the truth about the living God. They don't bother to tell you the truth about anything, for that matter. They don't know how to teach you math. They don't. My daughter won't help with a thing, and she showed me a big old long problem. I give her the answer. She said, how do you get that? I said, that's just the answer. Well, there's this, this method you got to go through. No, there's not method, nothing. They try to method God out of everything. It's all about God. We live in a world where we have, we have taken God out of everything. Over time, in this country, we have gotten to the spot where we are right now, to where there are some who do not know Jesus Christ. There are some who do not know the name Jesus Christ. There are some who have never heard the gospel. In America, there are those who have not heard the truth of the gospel, that we were born into sin, Jesus died to pay our debt, and salvation is free to all of mankind. And we are scarily, is that a good word? Frightfully doesn't sound like my kind of southern redneck, so i got to use something that fits. We are scarily close to a generation who does not know Jesus Christ. We, we are eerily close to a generation who does not know God. The responsibility lies squarely on the shoulders of the fathers. The Word of God says it's up to us. What has happened through time is we dropped the ball. Our nation has drifted further and further away from God. People go, oh, things get better over time. No, 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 they don't. No, they won't. Time has nothing to do with anything. Time is nothing but time. It's what you do with time that matters. And it's what we've done with our time that is making a difference, but it doesn't have to be that way from now on. So what can we, as, as husbands, what can we do as, as fathers, what can we do as men, as, as males on this planet, what, what can we do that can change our lives, change our families' lives, change the lives of the environment around us? Two weeks ago on Sunday morning, my family and I went, went down to Alabama. I preached my sister's graveside down there. We had to do it on, on a Sunday. When I went to bed on Saturday night, I had no idea what I would say come Sunday. None. I figured God didn't give it to me because he knew I'd have preached it on Saturday at the funeral. But nonetheless, I went to bed Saturday night without a clue. God woke me up in the middle of the night, and I did what I always do. I got up and went and wrote it down because I don't want to forget it, and God don't have to retell it. If you don't care enough to get up and write it down, he don't have to care enough to tell it to you again. So I got up and went, and I, and I wrote it down. But So this, this, is, this is what God gave me. Number one, it is a passage that described my sister. 
And, and that's why, and I'm, I truly believe that, and that's why God gave me the passage. But the passage was from Acts chapter 10, and most of you probably know the story. If you don't, just go read Acts chapter 10, where Peter's up on the roof at Simon the Tanner's house, and God shows him the cloth with all the different kind of animals, rise, kill, and eat, not so, Lord, for I've never eaten anything unclean. And, and God said, what, what I've called clean, what God has called clean, call thou not unclean, or call thou not uncommon. What God was teaching Peter is that all of mankind, the blood of Jesus Christ is available. Not just a Jew, but to everybody. God is teaching Peter something important because he's about to send Peter to Cornelius' house up in Caesarea, about 20 miles to the north, because he's already sent an angel up there to tell Cornelius to send some men down to Joppa and get Peter and bring him up. So Peter's back at Cornelius' house. He's up there. He's telling the story. And in verse number 38, Peter says this. He's talking about Jesus, telling them about Jesus. He said how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good. That was my message. That's what Jesus did. He went about doing good. It goes on and says, healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. Three weeks ago I preached a message right here on God's expectations. What does God expect of you? What is God's expectations of you and I to live a godly life? Just do right. Just do right. We use the text from Micah chapter 6 verse 8. says, He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. In the message we talked about, if you want to serve God, if you want to please God, all you got to do is just do right. Just live right. Love God. Love your neighbors yourself. It's pretty simple. You do those things, you're going to be pleasing to God because you're not going to do anything upsetting to God. So here in Acts chapter 10, what we see is that if we want to be like Jesus, all we've got to do is just go about doing good. And that's what God gave me about my sister. If y'all know my sister, she went about doing good. She, was, she just loved people. She was a personality. That's what God gave me. But in it, God gave me a message for myself. I don't have to heal the sick. I don't have to raise the dead. I don't have to give sight to the blind. I don't have to make the deaf to hear. I don't have to make the lame to walk. All I got to do to be like Jesus is just go about doing good. God gave me something. About three months ago, I was in my office, and there was something I felt like I couldn't do. I was like, God, that, that's really, I, I, don't know that I, I don't know that I can do that. And here's what God showed me. Do what you can. Do what you can. Can I raise the dead? No. But can I help somebody get up that tripped and fell? Yes. Can I make the, the blind to see? No. But can I open a door and help them get in? Yes. All you got to do to be like Christ is just go about your day doing good. Chapter 11, God is doing an incredible work in one of the most wicked, probably not the most wicked of that day, but it's one of the most idolistic cities 
available in that day. It is the third largest city of the Roman Empire with more than 200,000 people there. And it's at the city of Antioch. God is up there. He sent a couple of men from Cyprus and Cyrene. They're preaching the gospel. And it says that a multitude are being saved. And while a multitude is being saved up there, we've been talking on Wednesday nights about how word travels. Acts chapter 11, verse 22, it said, Tidings came into the ears of the church, which was at Jerusalem. This is, this is about 200 miles. It says, They sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who when he came and had seen the grace of God was glad and exhorted them all with that purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added to the Lord. This isn't Jesus. This is Barnabas. Just a simple man like, like us. This isn't one of the apostles anointed with the power and all the things that Jesus gave them. This is Barnabas. This, this is just a simple man just like you and I. As a matter of fact, if you look in the next verse, you'll find that Barnabas had to leave and went to Tarsus looking for Saul to bring him back because he needed some help. What we find is just this just simple man it doesn't say that he's successful. It doesn't say that he's a good businessman. It doesn't say that he's wealthy or good with money. It doesn't say that he's a very talented man. He's not a distinguished preacher. He's not a doctorate of theology. It doesn't give any kind of accreditation. It says he is a good man. That means he's honest. That means he's humble. That means he treats other people right. No amount of money... And no talent can substitute being a good man. Stephen Grillet says, I shall pass through this world but once. Any good, therefore, that I can do or any kindness that I can show to any human being, let me do it now. Let me not defer it or neglect it, for I shall not pass this way again. Sometimes you got one chance to do right. Sometimes you got one shot at making a difference in somebody's life. Something happens, you have an opportunity to be a blessing to somebody, and if you miss it, you miss it. Dennis Prager says, goodness is about character, integrity, honesty, kindness, generosity, moral courage, and the like. More than anything else, it is about how we treat other people. There is not a man within the sound of my voice who does not have the ability to do good. But there are many who does not have the desire. We all have the potential to do good. But in order to do that, it's up to us to surrender our lives and let Christ lead it that we might do good. It says that he was a good man. The second thing it says there about Barnabas is that he's full of the Holy Ghost. See, that he's a good man, that said something about his character. The fact that he's full of the Holy Ghost, that says something about his Christianity. That there's too many people today who want to profess Christ with their lips, but they secretly refuse to surrender their life to let him lead God and direct it. We, we talked about it on Wednesday night specifically, salvation is not a position of the head. It's a position of the heart. It's not a lip service. It is a life service. Somebody that is filled with the Holy Spirit, that means they're saved. If you've ever trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, at the moment of salvation, you were filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Just because you are filled with the Holy Spirit does not mean you are surrendered to the Holy Spirit. Just because you are filled with the Holy Spirit doesn't mean you're listening to the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean you're letting Him guide your life. Anybody know, people like to call it a good conscience. Well, the conscience, but, but I fought it off. It wasn't conscience. It was God. It was the Holy Spirit of God speaking to try to get us to, to do right. So, so we see that He's full of the Holy Ghost. Paul says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance against such there is no law and they that are christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust if we live in the spirit let us also walk in the spirit barnabas wasn't any different than you and i the only thing different is that barnabas allowed the holy spirit to guide his life he did not quench the holy spirit shut the door on the holy spirit live a worldly kind of life. He simply prayed. He sought God's wisdom. He sought God's will. When God gave him a direction, he went in the way that God said go. Therefore, it ultimately affected how he treated other people. A man who is not only filled with the Holy Spirit, but led by the Holy Spirit, is a man who will display a Christ-like character. Joseph Prince says, only the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord, can transform us. Joyce Meyer, I know it's Father's Day, but she's still got some good stuff. Says, many people feel so pressured by the expectations of others that it causes them to be frustrated, miserable, confused about what they should do. But there is a way to live a simple, joy-filled, peaceful life. Let me just time out. Anybody want that? Anybody want that? Man, woman, boy, girl, between the cradle and the grave. Anybody want that? Simple, joy-filled, peaceful life. Does that even exist? Yeah. It says that the key is learning how to be led by the Holy Spirit, not the traditions or expectations of other men. Charles Stanley, Dr. Charles Stanley says, Earthly wisdom is doing what comes naturally. I'm good at that one. God forgive me. Godly wisdom is doing what the Holy Spirit compels us to do. There's a huge difference between doing what I want to do and what the Lord would lead me to do. But then third, it says that Barnabas is a man full of faith. That, that says something about his commitment. Faith is an absolute necessity. You either believe God in every situation or you don't. Wake up the person beside you. You need to hear that. Tell them, wake up, I promise. Give me five minutes and I'll be 30 minutes away from being done. You either trust God with every situation or you don't. You trust Him in the storm. You trust Him in the trial. You trust Him on the mountain. You trust Him in the valley. You trust Him when it did not go your way, when your prayer did not get answered the way you prayed it, when it did not go like you thought it ought to. You trust Him anyway. 
Faith is an absolute necessity. Hebrews 11.1 1 says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But in verse number 6, he says, Without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that what? Diligently seek him. There's that word again. Remember what that is? That is steady. That is consistent without hesitation. We live in a world today that's scared to death of the world commitment. I said, we live in a world that's scared to death. Well, I don't want to be scared of it. They don't keep it anyway. Men today are really good at making verbal commitments. They're really bad at keeping any of them. All the women very lightly said amen. To be a man of faith simply means take God at his word. Do the best you can. Follow the Holy Spirit. Leave the rest up to him. Ronald Reagan, 40th President of the United States, says, We're never defeated unless we give up on God. We're never defeated unless we give up on God. Barnabas simply trusted God. He didn't trust in his own ability. He trusted God to lead him. So Listen, listen, you ready? He didn't try to do too much, and he didn't try to do too little. He tried to do exactly what God told him to do. He let the Holy Spirit guide his life. Just because you're filled with the Holy Spirit does not mean that you allow the fruit of the Spirit to have freedom to reign in your life. So, man, it's as simple as this. Just a couple of questions. In the text, in the story, in, in how to be a better man, how to be a godly man, and how the three things that we see there in Barnabas, is there anything in this text that anybody can't do? There's not. There's nothing in here too hard, nothing in here too big. They're very simple. He's a good man. He's a man full of faith. He's a man full of the Holy Spirit. None of those are beyond our reach. So there's nothing in here that any of us can't do, which takes us to question number two. How many of those things are there that we won't do? How many times do we not choose to just do good? You know, to do right is to do right even if it works to your disadvantage. The text says he's a good man, full of the Holy Ghost. If you're a Christian, you're full of the Holy Ghost. But will you allow him to lead you so that you can lead your family? And it says he's a man of faith. Do we trust God enough to say, Lord, here's my life. Whatever you want is what I'll do. Whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, here's my life. Do we have enough faith in God to trust him with our life? Our money. Our money. <laughs> that wouldn't take much. Our family. Our, our home. How much faith do we truly have? The results of the kind of man that it described here in Barnabas said that much people was added to the Lord. The reason much people aren't being added to the Lord is because we're not telling the story. Pope John 23rd says it's easier for a man to have children than for children to have a real father. Kent Nurburn says it's much easier to become a father than to be one. Frank A. Clark says a father is a man who expects his own son to be as good a man as he meant to be. 
Do I need to read that one again? A father is a man who expects his son to be as good a man as he meant to be. Can I just add something to Frank A. Clark's quote? If you don't set the example before him, odds are extremely unlikely that he will be. You've all heard it. Ike Riker, you said all the time, it only takes a male to have a child. It takes a man to raise a child. Unfortunately, in America today, we have an overwhelming number of males. But we have a very small number of men. We have a very small number of God-fearing, God-following, God-honoring Christian men. But when we stand before God, we're only going to stand accountable for one. I got enough on my own, so I'm glad I don't have to deal with yours. But men, men, especially dad, you paying attention? When you stand accountable before God, you will stand accountable for your life, and you will stand accountable for your children. You will stand accountable for how did you raise up your children? How did you train up your child? How did you take care of your family? The Bible says if you don't care of your own, you're worse than an infidel, a sinner. So we will stand accountable for how we take care of our families. I want to ask you, if you guys just go ahead and stand. Band, if you guys want to make your way, come, come on up here. Man, here, here's what we know for a fact. That none of us can do it without God. But we also have a verse that we hang our hats on that says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. That tells me that I'm nothing without Him, but I can do everything with Him. I want to ask you guys, if you would, you just bow your heads, close your eyes, just for a minute, we're about done. I just, just... How many, how many fathers, I mean, you have at least somewhat of a vision of how you'd like for your children to grow up, especially if you still have smaller or younger children. Um, I mean, do you want them to be successful? Do you want them to be the kind of person that loves others, the kind of person that everybody loves them? The, the question of that would be, are we living the kind of example in front of them that could help them become that person? The kind of person that we want them to be, are we setting that standard? Are we setting that example that they can see the kind of life that we'd like for them to live? Because what they see in us, statistics show this extremely likely that that's what they're going to duplicate. Those are the things that, that they'll follow. How, how many men, just if you want to be a father, how many men would say, I, I just want to... I just want to live the kind of life that pleases God. Raise your hand. I just want to live a life that pleases God. I just want God to be happy. I just want to make God smile all over the building, everywhere. You can put them down. Well, what about fathers? How many fathers would say, I, I want to be the kind of man that leads my family, leads my home in a way that honors God in everything we do? Fathers, you raise your hand. I just want to lead my family that way. I want my home to honor God. Well, how many of you know that if that's going to happen, 
You're going to need God's help to do it. We're going to need God's strength, God's blessing, God's anointing. I'll tell you what. These guys are going to sing a song, but I'll tell you what I'm going to do. In this song, I sang this song all day yesterday. If I listen to it once, I listen to it 30 times. Driving and working in the yard and doing stuff. I even sit there and listen to it last night. I don't know. There's an awful lot going on. The song is evidenced by Josh Baldwin. And all I kept thinking was, I see the evidence of your goodness. I see the evidence of your goodness in my life. And, and I read a lot of other people's quotes because they're so much smarter than I am. But God gave me my own quote yesterday. I was listening to this song about I see the evidence of your goodness all over my life. Can, can I just tell you there's been a lot of things in the past few weeks in our life that ain't been that good. There's been a lot of things going on. There's been some valleys, there's storms, there's troubles. There's been some things going on that aren't necessarily good. But all I could think was I see the evidence of your goodness all over my life. And, and this is what God gave me. God's goodness is not limited to the number of sunny days that I live. Nor is it hindered by the number of storms that I live through. God's goodness is good. No matter what. And if we want God to, to lead, guide, and direct us, it's up to us to surrender to Him. So I don't know, they're going to sing a song. Men, maybe you just want to get your family this morning. If you really want to be the kind of man that says, God, I want to I honor you. I want to lead my family to honor you. I want to lead my children to honor you. I want to be the kind of man that can set an example. No matter how my family turns out, I want to be the kind of man to set an example that they could follow and get closer to you. Maybe you just want to bring your family and bring them to the altar and say, God, help me be that kind of man. That's what kind of man I want to be, one that pleases you. These guys are going to sing. You pray as you will. Altars are always open. Why should I fear when the evidence is clear? Amen. Everybody's walked through storms, but we never walked through one alone. The evidence is clear. I want to ask you real quick, if you bow your heads just for a minute. I don't want to miss an opportunity. There may be somebody that doesn't know Christ, your personal Lord and Savior. There may be somebody that you offered as a lip service some time back, but you know nothing changed in your life. Today is a day when anybody, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. If you're willing to confess your faults, your sins before God, and say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. You ask God to forgive you of your sins and to save your soul. It's not a lip service. It's not a head service. A lot of people like to voice something. Go, well, I'm saved because I said that. No, if you didn't surrender your heart and give your life to Christ, if God's not leading, guiding, and directing your life, don't leave this world on a false hope. Say, Father, forgive me. Save my soul in Jesus' name. It's the name of Jesus alone. God is faithful and just to save those who will call upon him. God, thank you so much for being so good. Thank you for the evidence of your goodness all over my life.
Thank you, God, for always being there for all of us. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you, Father. You truly have opened the windows of heaven and poured out blessings, God. Every one of us in this place have been blessed abundantly, God. Countless, wonderful, undeserved blessings that you freely give to us. We just want to tell you thank you, God. Lord, I thank you for the fathers. Thank you for the men in this building. Thank you for the men listening on live stream. Thank you for the men that are doing all they can to serve you, God. They're trying to follow you. They might lead their families, their home, their children. I pray you'd bless each one of them, God. Help us, Father, as we go out to, to be a living example, a living testimony to a world that desperately needs to see a light in a dark place. Help us, God, to be pleasing to you. We love you, Father. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.